Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Sunday, February 19th. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and we got a lot to get to, including uh, a preview of Monday's game between Miami and Virginia and Tuesday's game between South Carolina and Florida. But first, uh, Norlander, I'm just going to open the floor to you. You tell me, North Carolina destroying Virginia and giving the Cavaliers their third straight loss, or Kansas basically securing a 13th straight Big 12 title, or Gonzaga moving to 28-0, or Kentucky barely getting past Georgia, even though Yante Maton uh, was gone after two minutes, or Michigan State's Aaron Harris suffering a college career-ending injury, or Caleb Swanigan getting 24-15 and 15 against, Mich- against Michigan State for what was his 24th double-double, or something else. What was the biggest story from college basketball this weekend? Biggest story to me is Kansas... Because the way this dovetailed, GP, the Hall of Fame finalists are always announced every year at All-Star Weekend. This is the one thing where basketball comes together in terms of college and pro and the Hall of Fame. Because every year, All-Star Weekend, you get the finalists. And at the Final Four, you actually find out who is going to make the Hall of Fame in a given year. So the fact that Bill Self is now on the finalist lists, you wrote a column about how... Listen, there's zero reason for this guy to have to wait to get in. With what he's done to this point, he should be an automatic in. And then Kansas winning at Baylor. I think I had that one. I believe you had the Bears. I did have Um, the Bears. And, hey, listen, Baylor played. That was a really good game. Uh, I think that was actually the best game of the weekend, start to finish, uh, the most well-played, closest. A lot of... um, Punches and counterpunches there from both teams. And I thought that Baylor was in really good position to get that win. Some of that, like if you're a Baylor fan and you're watching that game, it's the 10th time in a row you've lost to Kansas. And so much of it is like, I can so understand if you're so frustrated because Kansas just always, always wins those freaking games. Like they, you cannot defeat them in those kind of situations. And that's part of why they're Kansas and Bill Self is such a great coach and they've got really good players. And it's a lot of, a lot of what Kansas was able to do there is why I'm still – I would still, if we started the tournament today, I have not wavered off of picking Kansas to be the national champion this year because even when, like, Devontae Graham did not have a good game at all. It could have been arguably his worst game of the season, but it, mostly he just didn't have a good shooting performance. He was good in other areas, but despite that, they still get enough from everyone else. They turn Baylor over just enough. Kansas – To me, it's going to be so hard for the Jayhawks now not to get a one seed because the Big 12 rates as the toughest conference. I actually think I fight Pomeroy's ratings on this, and I think that Sagarin might have the Big 12 number one overall as well. I don't have his stuff in front of me, GP. But I would would say the ACC is the best league, in part because it's the deepest league. The Big 12 is also very deep. I mean, it's got eight teams in the in the mix to get into the tournament this year. But what I'm getting at here is Kansas sweeping Baylor, in effect locking up, you know, a 13 straight regular season title, and I think only two of those years, maybe one of them, they've even shared the title, but they finished atop the league 13 years in a row with one more win that's officially uh, in the books. Yeah, one more win or or one more Baylor loss. And you're exactly, it's one more win or one more Baylor loss, so like it's done, because like two of the final four games are at, first off, Baylor ain't going to close with a 4-0, so that's that. And uh, and Kansas isn't going to go on a four game losing streak. Like I I don't think they've ever done that under Bill Self. So yeah, it's <laughs> done. It's done. Um, and they're going to be a one seed. You're exactly right. Like you know the the committee starts. You know the committee is uh, they care about the resumes. And regardless of what you think of Kansas or 
Bill Self's uh, track record in NCAA tournaments, they're going to be a, a number one seed again. It's, it's, it's basically unavoidable at this point. Unavoidable, yeah, because they, they're not they're not going to take on enough losses that is going to that are going to validate that. It would be not that it can't happen, but with how they've done, and I, what are they five and zero or four and zero against top five teams in the polls this season, and Bill Self now has the best record. Credit to ESPN for this stat because I saw it on late uh, Saturday night. With a minimum of five games against top five opponents, Bill Self has now won more games percentage-wise against top five teams than any coach in college basketball history. Even more reason why he should get into the Hall of Fame this year. I'll be interested to see if he does. Real quick, if you haven't seen it, he's a finalist. Rebecca Lobo, uh, who was on the first UConn National Championship winning team. That team went undefeated in 95. Kim Mulkey, longtime coach at Baylor. Chris Weber, who is kind of half known for Michigan, to be honest, and half for his pro career. I mean, he was a really, really good pro, but it's interesting how he is still connected to Michigan, even though there's so much, uh, you know, the the Final Fours have been vacated, whatever. Uh, he was on the list. Bo Ryan's on the list again. Raleigh Massimino's a first-time honoree. And so I'll be interested to see, and then there's uh, a few other folks as well, but I'll be interested to see, most interestingly, Self and then Raleigh, has has gotten a lot of people kind of pushing for him. And I, I basically am of the belief that if Villanova doesn't win the national title last year, Raleigh's not on this list. I think part of Nova winning the way it did, Jay Wright being a huge proponent of him and a lot of coaches fighting for him has gotten him onto the list. And, um, I, you know, either way, Self is the person that I think is, is most deserving, even though he only has, quote-unquote, one national title. I think it's an inevitability for him to get at least two. And so the biggest stuff from the weekend, I think, is is related to Kansas sweeping Baylor. Yeah. And establishing itself as legitimate a national title contender as we have in hoops. All right, so let's talk about the Hall of Fame thing, right? Because that was sort of uh, the point of my column. Like, th- this should be game, set, match. Like, the idea that this guy, that you could have a Hall of Fame ballot in front of you and not vote for Bill Self is just asinine. To your point, he does only have one national championship. So is John Calipari, and he got in. Yeah. You know, so, like, uh, Beheim won. Yeah, Beheim won. He's in. So, like, you can't use that against him. You know, you can't say he's only got one national championship because we just named two other active coaches. Tarkanian got in with one. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is, yeah. that, that's definitely not a disqualifying right. note. No way. Um, so, and then you start looking at the 13 straight Big 12 titles. By the way, assuming they're going to win this one outright, and I assume that they're going to win it outright, it would take something really weird for them not to. Um, that'll be 13 Big 12 titles, nine of which will have been won outright. They've, they've tied for four. Uh, in four of them. Tied more than I thought. Okay. Yeah. Four of them have been shared titles, uh, but nine after this year will have been um, outright titles. No other school has ever won uh, more than 13 league titles in a row. UCLA also won 13 in a row once upon a time, but those weren't all belonging to John Wooden. John Wooden won nine of them, uh, but the 13 that UCLA won were actually um, shared between three different coaches. So uh, no school's ever won more, though UCLA has won as many, which means heading into next season, Kansas will have an opportunity to to win a 14th straight Big 12 title, which would be more than any school in the history of college basketball. But even if you're just focusing on uh, on coaches, nobody's done what Bill Self has done. Like, again, Wooden won nine. I think Mark Fuse won a whole bunch in a row. I know Gonzaga as a school's won 11 in a row once upon a time, West Coast Conference titles. I don't know how many of them belong to Mark off the top of my head, but obviously uh, some of them. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski, you know, just run through the active Hall of Famers. Mike Krzyzewski, the most he's ever won in a row, five. John Calipari, five. Tom Izzo, four. Roy Williams, four. And Izzo, by the way, another uh, active Hall of Famer who only has one national championship. Um, Jim Beheim two, 
and Rick Pitino too. So like, from my perspective, like, what are we even talking about? Like the guy's done something that literally no men's basketball coach has ever done, plus won a national title. That's good enough for the Hall of Fame. To the extent that people, and I want to ask you two different questions. Um, because when I write this column, a lot of people go, oh, wow, that's amazing. I don't want to pretend that the, the, the commentary is all the same. Some people appreciate it, I think, properly. But then there's other people who say two things. One is, yeah, but it's in the Big 12. Big deal. Um, it's not the, he's not doing this in the ACC. He's not doing this in the Big 10. He couldn't possibly do it in one of those leagues. Um, as we pointed out, uh, the Big 12 is like not only the toughest league in America, according to Kimpom, it's been that way four straight years. It's ranked as the number one conference in America four straight years by Kimpom. And in this 13-year stretch in which Kansas has won 13 straight Big 12 titles, uh, it's been Kimpom's top-rated league five different times. It's been a top-two league eight different times and a top-three league ten different times. So the idea that they are that they a couldn't do this in another league, which may or may not be true. I don't know. I, I, I like, I, I find it hard to believe that they'd be able to do this in the ACC win 13 straight times. I, I'll concede that point, but the idea that they're doing it in a weak league or that somehow the accomplishment should be discounted, like runs counter to common sense from my perspective. Do, do you, can you understand why people think that, or are they just like, pissing on it to piss on it. Why do you think people suggest that it's not that crazy because it's just the Big 12? Uh, because Kansas has been so dominant throughout its history and it's, you know, a top three, top four all-time program. People will inherently dismiss it because the league, not only has Kansas been historically so much better and outpaced the rest of the league on a year-by-year basis, it's also because when you look at who else is in the league, Who's the second best program in Big 12 history in that league? There's not a clear, and you know, West Virginia's new to it, um, but Iowa State maybe doesn't have a national title. You know, Oklahoma State has fallen off from what it once was. Oklahoma and Texas are both really good programs and both have had solid, you know, solid runs over the years in, in kind of spots, but there's no program within the league, like in the Pac 12. You can stack up Arizona against UCLA if you want. In the ACC, there you know there are there are so many. Um, even in the Big East, which Villanova is just lording over, from a historical standpoint, you could still even put schools. Marquette has a national championship. Georgetown has a national championship. They, there's enough there um, where you've got something. So the Big Twelve is similar to the SEC which has had Florida be good as of late, but it's not a historically all-time program. I think that's part of it. GP, I also wanted to include this, though. Like, this idea that's... If there is an... I, I don't know if this per, pervades too much, but I did want to include this since we're talking on self real quick. The, the thought that this might be just, you know, self's a good coach, but maybe he's not an all-time great coach because anyone could do this at Kansas. Here's the deal, though. He will be averaging north of 30 wins uh, per year at Kansas by the time this season is done. Um that's remarkable. No coach is, is ever guaranteed that number. That's an, that's an insane number. To average 30 when you play at maximum 40, but really it's closer to anywhere between 34 and 37, given the nature of the NCAA tournament. He's never won fewer than 23 games in a season. He has more league titles and home losses. This is, this is the crazy part, though. So he, was, uh, he began at Oral Roberts. He was also at Tulsa in Illinois. 
when he began at Oral Roberts GP, the the team was not in a conference. Um, but when he was at Tulsa, they were in the WAC. Okay, so he has coached now, including this season, 19 seasons in a conference. He has never finished worse than runner-up in a conference. So not only is he almost always winning at Kansas, he's never finished a regular season slate where his team was worse than number two in the standings. That's just stupid. It's like, stupid. that like, should never no, happen. And like, okay, two Final Fours, one national championship, three Elite Eights at three different schools. And yes, and there's only no, like no, six no, no, ever done that. No, I'm sorry, more than three Elite Eights. I, I forget how many Elite Eights it is, but it's Elite. But he's taken three. He's taken three different three schools to the yeah. Elite Eight. Um, oh, and by the way, the Indy Illinois team that went to the Final Four, played for a national championship, that's his team. You know, yes. that, it's a little bit like, uh, like Bruce Weber went to a national championship game mostly with Bill Self's team, not unlike Tubby Smith won a national championship, mostly with Rick Patino's players, you know? And like yeah. that, that and I still like, and I still give uh, Tubby and I of course, still give of Bruce course. a fair right. amount of credit, but without a doubt, those were the guys that Bill brought in. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually I actually find that some people randomly think Self was coaching Illinois that year. They forget no that he was he was gone by that point. Right. That that was Bruce Weber on the sideline. Self had had moved on to Kansas, and Roy had gone from Kansas to Carolina. So the other th- so like I just the idea that anybody could be dismissive of the accomplishment of thirteen straight league titles is just bananas to me. But whatever. Um, the other thing that I heard besides that, people sort of just poo pooing on the idea that this is really unbelievable, is that. Oh yeah, he's a great regular season coach. Watch him; they'll lose in the round of six. They'll lose in the Sweet Sixteen again. Um, is that a fair criticism of Bill Self that he has thirteen Big Twelve titles, but only one national championship? Thirteen Big Twelve titles after this year, but what is it? Two Final Fours, whatever it is. Like, does his postseason resume is it a disappointment relative to his regular season uh, awesomeness? Well, I put it this way. If you put out every single coach coach in college basketball, all 351 of them, right? And you could, you know, in a hypothetical world, just blank slate, how many coaches would get picked before self? It's it's extremely low. I mean, you, you got to pick a. It's almost like a coaching draft. That's actually interesting. Okay, you you were starting a pick program. a coach, and you got to have him for 10 years. So that like to me, that probably puts. Krzyzewski way down the list because he's not going to coach in 10 years. Roy won't, Beheim won't, Patino won't. So when you're looking at, you know, you'd start with Hall of Famers. I I just don't think you'd get two or three guys down before you went to self. Would you get, would you, like, well, who would you pick ahead of him? Who could you reasonably pick ahead of him? Calipari? Izzo, maybe, if you wanted. Izzo is possible. Um, Calipari. Uh, Sean Miller, maybe. Um, Also has not made a Final Four. Coach that you'd have to stick with for 10 years, um, that might be it. You could argue for Tony Bennett if you wanted. Hasn't made a Final Four. I would take Self before Tony, personally. Um, who else? I don't think – I don't I don't know if you get them, I don't know if you, there's anyone else. You get I, I, would, I would take Calipari before Self. I would take – I would take Sean Miller before Self. I don't think I would take Izzo before Self. So Self would probably be my third choice in the candidate pool. What about you? I, it would be Calipari yourself. I mean, I just think that like they're like it's it's foolproof. Like they've never not been awesome wherever they've been. Um, yeah. And and like Sean's never not been awesome either. Like Sean Miller's terrific. And uh, but like yeah, Sean Miller's going through what Self's going through on a, like just a, 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 what Self once went through. He had not made a Final Four until he actually did it. Right. And then won a title 
you know? Right. It just seems like an inevitability with Sean. Right. I, I agree completely. Like, the, I, I would bet, like, my entire 401k that Sean Miller will will make a Final Four at some point and probably win a national championship at some point. Like, when you continue to, um, you know, assemble, you know, top-shelf teams, like, eventually it just it, it, it breaks for you. Like, when I was talking to Hugs in advance of his, well, what, his 800th win? Um, you know, because he does not have a national championship. And uh, that's, that's primarily, at least in my opinion, and definitely in his opinion, because he said this, because Kenny Martin broke his leg, you know, in the 2000 Great Midwest Tournament. If that doesn't happen, Bob Huggins has, probably has a national championship, and by extension, Tom Izzo probably doesn't. And so Hug said he was on, and I might have told this story before. If so, I apologize. But Hug said he was on some coaching panel, like a discussion, like coaching clinic thing with Denny Crum. And somebody asked Denny Crum, what does it take to win a national championship? And I think you could apply this exact same answer to what does it take to make a Final Four. He said Denny Crum's answer was, you have to be lucky, and you can't be unlucky. Like, like you can't have anything go against you that should that could possibly go against you, and you got to catch a break somewhere along the line. And it is really true. If you look at every national champion, outside of very few, um, there's a game or a moment where, like, it could have gone the other way, but it didn't. Like, it just, it, like, the, the, the big shot went in, um, the turnover happened, whatever. And, uh, you know, eventually, like, if Sean, if you keep putting good teams on the floor, like, eventually the ball just bounces your way. You get in, and, and you break through, and, and it'll, it'll happen for Sean. But that's, a, that's an interesting conversation. Um, if you yeah. if you could hire one coach to start your program in 2017, 18, you got to keep him for 10 years. Who would it be? Um, I think Self and Calipari would go one two uh, in some order. Let me tell you about SeatGeek real quick. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or for that concert or for that show that you want to attend. And, and none of the older ticket sites they they wanted to change that. But SeatGeek came along, and now they've changed that. Uh, because uh, they're going to take a lot of the headache out of the process. Uh, before, you never know if you're getting the best deal. You never know what site to be on. But here's what SeatGeek does. It handles price comparison for you. It searches multiple ticket sites to ensure you get the best possible deal. So you never have to worry about it if you're getting ripped off. Not going to get ripped off at SeatGeek. So do me a favor, if you haven't done it already, uh, download the app. That's the SeatGeek app. You can find it in the App Store. Uh, purchase your tickets to whatever. NBA game, college basketball game, doesn't matter. Uh, then use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's College BB, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code is COLLEGEBB, that's College BB, that's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. What else from the weekend stood out? Uh, to me, it was actually Cal's press conference. Kentucky got a close shave win over Georgia. Yeah, you know, De'Aaron Fox kind of saved the day near the end there. Um, and I wrote about how Kentucky unconventionally won because of foul shots. Kentucky's not a great free throw shooting team, but it was pretty reliable. And actually, it was at about 80%. Uh, Bam, and I think, went one for two in the end, and that dipped him down. Uh, but they had made the shots they needed to make when the game was close in the final three minutes. So good for Kentucky to get a road win, um, set them up well. They still have a chance to two-seat all that. But then after the game, Parrish... Someone had I don't I did not see the question because uh, Kyle Tucker with the Atlanta Journal Constitution and SEC Country uploaded the video, and it the video just kind of starts Calipari as he's getting into a, a little bit of a rant. And if you have not seen it, I do recommend it because it's I think it is Cal uh, sort of at his best because he starts to defend Mark Fox. I will say this for Calipari, um, 
publicly, uh, without a doubt, this guy will on occasion stand up for his colleagues that are lesser known, often embattled. And to a certain extent, I think that very much comes from the fact that he flamed out in the pros. Uh, I think that still bothers him. Um, he was sort of seen as not necessarily an outcast, but he never was able to really click with the Nets. And he obviously had um, some some doubters when he came back to Memphis. So I always think that there's this part of Cal that really wants to give back to the coaching community in this regard. And whether he senses that Georgia fans think that Mark Fox should be fired, I, by the way, don't think that. And I don't think that will happen. Um, nevertheless, he starts to... Uh, to defend Mark Fox and lays out what the team has gone through. They didn't have Yontay Mayton for 38 minutes of the game. I actually think if Mayton plays, Kentucky probably loses to Georgia on Saturday. Uh, Mayton's a really good player. He's probably been a top 30 player of value this season. And then, GP, he just pivots into, um, you know, I'm gonna drop, I'm gonna drop the S bomb here. I think it's, uh, I think it's okay. But he just goes, "We're firing coaches midseason. Are you shitting me?" And <laughs> He's listen as a coach. I get that. The one thing that I did find interesting was Cal was like, "Hey, coaches, I want you to put this in your contract. If you fire me midseason, you have to pay me." Well, most coaching contracts are they're they're built into these protections. They're called buyouts. They're there, and Godfrey's getting a sizable amount on his. But uh, that was just something that I saw. It, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is definitely something." There's no doubt doubt about it. To see Cal say what he said uh, and do what he did, I thought was a pretty cool thing to stand up for Godfrey. And to stand up for Fox in that moment because he wasn't asked to. He didn't necessarily have to. But I guarantee you both those guys got a hold of Calipari in the 24 hours after to send along their thanks because it's easy to write columns, do podcasts, be a fan, you know, boo these guys. But at the same time, um, there is another side to it. And there was a lot of, you know, logical stuff that Cal ranted about over the course of two minutes. Well, uh, you know, because I was his beat writer for four, I was on the road with him every game for four straight years. And I saw him do that for other guys um, regularly. He, he is very aware that everything he says can create a headline. And he's very good about when he's in, um, you know, when he's on the road, like, I don't think he would have done that at, uh, at Kentucky, if that game would have been played inside Rupp. Like, I doubt he did that inside Rupp. Yeah, um, good but, point. Yeah, but w- when, he, when he knows that every local television station in Georgia is there, because that's really his audience, that's what he's aiming for, those, the local people. Like, do you, guys, you guys don't understand how good this guy is. I'm telling you. He should have beat us up there. He should have beat us today. He's got injuries. He's been unlucky, but he's good. You've got a good basketball coach. Appreciate him. I've seen him do that for other guys. And if you're Mark Fox, like, absolutely. You, you, you at the very least, send him a text last night or, or today and say thank you. Because um, I, I don't know that it will change every Georgia fan's mind. I, I know it won't. But it, it might make an administration hesitate a little bit if they're even leaning that direction at all. Just Hold up. Now, John Calipari thinks we've, you know, like, is he right or is he wrong? You know, it, you know, and I will say this, and, and please, you correct me if, uh, if, if it's not true. People mostly think Mark Fox has done a good job at Georgia. You know, like, like I, I know that the NCAA tournament appearances haven't come as regularly as you'd like. And, um, you know, he's not out signing top 10 recruiting classes. Like, I got all that. But Mark is respected in the industry. Like, people think he's a good basketball coach. And um, I'm not going to pretend that if Georgia wanted to make a change, this year, next year, whenever, that there's no scenario under which they would be better for it. You never know when you're going to hire the next hot shot, um, you know, up and coming, just blow it out of the water guy. Um, but 
you know, you, you can screw it up too. You can, everybody thinks when they fire a coach and hire a new one that it's going to get better. And sometimes it gets worse. Um, you know, I, I, despite what happened yesterday at Pitt with that win over Florida State, like you, you think Pitt fans maybe uh, could appreciate Jamie Dixon a little more today than they could say a year ago? You know, like, uh, you know, sometimes fan bases get to a point where, uh, you know, the, what's happening right now isn't good enough anymore, and we want something different. And that's fine, and if the administration's on board, you'll get it, but it doesn't always get better. That's the thing sometimes people forget. Like, there is no guarantee that Mark Fox's replacement, if there happens to be one someday, is going to be as good as Mark Fox. If nothing else right now, Georgia's got a good basketball coach who's respected in the industry. And I think that's the main message Cal was trying to deliver last night. It did make for a good video. Like, I watched it last night and retweeted it uh, because he, um, he seemed passionate about what he was doing. And he understood that his, his words might matter. And if I were yeah. Mark Godfrey or Mark Fox, I would have sent him a text today saying thank you. Um, and listen, we're going to talk. This happens every year to the listeners who are dialed into the podcast. Thanks for listening. The next five weeks are going to be a mix of let's talk about the bracket and the tournaments and the end of the season and bubble teams. And then it's going to eventually be coaching rumors, mill, who's hired, who's fired. So we're going to try our best not to, uh, to you know hit on topics at the same time over and over. But here's the fact of the matter is that 90% of guys – are hired only to be fired. It's just the nature of the business. That's what the money's for. They make a lot of money. 90% of these dudes that will get hired are either fired or they'll move on. The, the other 10% either become legends at the place that they're at or they get to retire on their own terms. And maybe even a few times they don't even get to retire on their own terms. So it's all a matter of a cycle. It's a matter of, of time, place, luck. It could be three years. It could be five years. It could be eight years. It's just part of the deal. Fox has been with Georgia for eight years. I definitely think that he is the kind of guy that you want to... I would not be eager to get him out. He has had relatively good success here. Um, I think maybe the issue with some Georgia fans going forward is that, you know, Mayton and Frazier being such big factors on the team this year, what will the team be next season if Mayton decides to turn pro, which wouldn't stun me because he's... He's a good player. Maybe he comes back. I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect. And in fact, I don't know how serious his knee injury was. Um, maybe he'll be able to play again this season. I, I didn't get the impression that it was season ending. So uh, that's where we are with that. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Anything else to you, GP? That, uh, First that particularly... off, hold up. You cannot miss this okay. opportunity. J.J. Frazier. J.J. Oh, Frazier. Did you see my piece? I, I, I dropped the reference in there. <laughs> he got 36 points. How many people were tweeting you about Devin Downey? I'll, only a couple, but I, I admit I had Twitter closed before I finished it. And uh, but yeah, I, I straight up I think I closed it out with uh, with a straight up. It was it was the best performance against Kentucky by a by a diminutive guard, someone under six feet, under six feet since Devin Downey. Of course, there's no doubt about it. Shout, shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Devin Downey. He looked like Devin Downey. Like I was sitting there, I was sitting there, and I had to look around my room. I was like, is this 2010 all over again? It feels like 2010 all over again. He looked like Devin Downey. Shouts to Devin Downey. Without a doubt. No, that's a, that's a good call for before we move on. He was – Frazier was a stud, without a doubt. He was – it was – this is not even being said for effect. That was a Devin Downey-esque performance through and through. He was awesome. Um, you concerned about Virginia at all? Well, here's the weird thing. Uh, again, like, what I can't decide with Virginia GP is, is this just going to be – 
every year we get you know a handful of teams that are four, five, six seats. They randomly just kind of lose the first game or second game of the tournament while some other stuff's going on. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, oh yeah, their season ended. <laughs> if you didn't, if you didn't notice, they lost by six points in the in the four o'clock window of the tournament. Virginia is still their number eight in Ken Palm as we record this. Kansas is nine. Okay, how about UCLA is eighteen. Arizona is 21st at 25 and three. This is why um, I use Ken Palm as a uh, a compass, but I don't rely on it entirely because I like to cross-reference with KPI and LRMC and Sager and all that stuff. For Virginia still to be eight in predictive uh, measurements is interesting to me because that suggests specifically with Arizona that if Virginia and Arizona met on a neutral floor tomorrow, Vegas lines would have Virginia as a favorite. I cannot buy that at this point. I, I don't even remotely buy it. Now, Virginia has played a brutal schedule. There's no doubt about it. And a lot of their losses have come on the road. Um, but they've lost three in a row GP. They've lost, I think four of their past five. I know they beat Louisville, uh, recently, but concern. Yeah. And by the way, that this is, it's still okay, but if, if Virginia merely winds up with a four seed or a five seed, doesn't make a sweet 16, it doesn't mean that, you know, we've, we've talked actually a lot. It's not been an intentional pattern, but we've talked about stereotypes with teams and coaches. It doesn't mean that Bennett's not a good coach or March or whatever. Let's, let's recall that this team does not have the player that was supposed to be its best player in London's a good guy. Don't get me wrong, but Austin Nichols, I still maintain if he had not been uh, a screw up, would have been the most important player to this team and really would change the dynamic of the offense. So they don't get the win against Carolina. It's not even remotely close. They only managed 41 points. In fact, GP, I checked out of that game with about 15 minutes to go in the second half, mostly just watched an underwhelming dunk contest. The thing, it was actually kind of a crappy Saturday night in basketball all around because there wasn't really much going on. So okay to have concern, but at the same time, let's just keep the, te- the expectations tempered. I did actually think that Virginia with Nichols wouldn't even be a top three team in the ACC this season. That's certainly a guarantee now because out of nowhere, they go from what, seven and two in the league. Now they're eight and six. So yeah, they were seven and two in the league. Now they're eight and six. They were at one point 16 and three on this season. Now they're 18 and eight. They've lost three in a row. Uh, they've lost uh, five of their last seven. And like, if you're looking for an issue, this is one of them. They're still terrific defensively. Top-rated uh, defense in America, according to Kimpom. Uh, they're 33rd in offensive efficiency. That's not terrible, but it's it's worse than they've usually been. I think they've been better than that um, each of the past four seasons offensively. So they never score a lot of points because they play at such a slow tempo, but they have been more efficient on the offensive end in, in the past four years um, than they have in this particular season. I do think this. The ACC is going to deliver losing streaks to basically everybody. And this might be uh, you know, a good point to make when you were trying to argue earlier that you still believe, despite what Ken Palm suggests, that the ACC, not the Big 12, is the best league in America. Like, uh, uh, you know, Notre Dame went through that stretch a few weeks ago where they lost yeah. four in a row. And it was like, ooh, what's wrong with Notre Dame? Nothing. They're playing in the ACC. That's, that's what's wrong. They're in the wrong league. And, and I tend to think that's mostly the issue here with Virginia uh, because if you look at the losses, one of them is a double OT loss on the road at Virginia Tech. By definition, if you play a two OT game, it could have gone either way. So that's a loss that could have reasonably, easily been a win. And then you lose at home to Duke, and that's not good because it was a double-digit loss, 65-55. But it's still Duke, preseason number one with nine McDonald's All-Americans. And then you go to Carolina. You don't want to get your brains beat in, and they got their brains beat in. But it's still just a loss at North Carolina. My guess is um, uh, they'll, they'll close the season probably with four straight wins and then they'll be t- uh, 12 and six in the ACC projected as a top 
you know, three or four seed, and then we'll see if Tony can get to his first Final Four. But I, I'm not going to freak out about them. I, I do think that um, the talent discrepancy relative to some of the other really good teams in America, like he can st- as great as Tony is, it can start to catch up with you at some point. And missing Austin Nichols is, is like, yeah, he was supposed to be their best player. He's not there. They, they were okay most, you know, uh, most of this season without him. Um, but, you know, they're missing a, you know, a former you know, four- or five-star recruit. They're missing a guy who uh, was a, you know, American Athletic Conference, you know, all-conference player. He's supposed to be – he was, like, on, you know, all the preseason stuff, supposed to be their best player. Um, you know, take the preseason best player off of other teams and, and see how they would be holding up. So um, you never want to lose three in a row, but I'm not that freaked out um, about Virginia. Uh, they do play, uh, again, Monday night. So let's start there. Miami and Virginia. It is at Virginia. Um, I believe the, the, the point spread, according to Ken Palm, would be uh, Virginia minus 10. You think they handle that okay? Uh, yeah, I do think they're going to bounce back. Now, if they lose, and that's not expected at all, but if Virginia does not pull this out or if it looks really sluggish, maybe barely wins, if the offense is, is brutal again, then we can have a serious conversation. I do think that Virginia will win. Miami's a team that I don't have a great grasp on because they have not defeated most of the really good competition that they played, but they did uh, they did beat a Clemson team that just can't win any close games and can't beat anybody. So, again, I'm not entirely sure. I think Virginia will win relatively closely. And then before we pick the next game here, GP, um, I would love to see Virginia play uh, UCLA in the tournament. And if that could happen <laughs> in the in the second round of Sweet 16, and that's the number one offense, number one defense, I right now with the way that both teams are, are built, I just don't see how UCLA doesn't win that game with some flair and maybe a little ease. Like the, never underestimate the Virginia D. I get that, but... That would be an amazing thing um, if they could somehow wind up in the same quadrant and then meet in the second round or Sweet 16. Um, I, I just would get as much watch as must watch to me as it could possibly be because their styles are just polar opposites. Now you got one team that's uh, the best offensive team in America, then the best defensive team in America. One team that wants to get up and down, the other team that wants to do uh, the opposite of that. It would be a fascinating uh, matchup. And to a point you've made previously. Um, that's that's that is one like college basketball will never be able to match the NBA from a skill set perspective, shot making perspective, you know any of that stuff. Um, but we do get drastic matchups that you know were different styles and that can be fascinating. And Virginia UCLA would be like an all timer, I think, uh, really yeah. really fun. Um, I, yeah, I think Virginia snaps his three-game losing streak. I think they handle Miami uh, in Charlottesville. Uh, I'd probably take 10 points because you get a Miami team that's you know probably a top 35 team in America. And you know with such a slow tempo, like 10 points is a lot of points. So I'd probably take the points. Uh, but keep in mind, I'm a terrible gambler, so do what you uh, do. And whatever. Miami's missing Jaquan Newton. I think it's his third game of his suspension yeah. as well. Yeah, he, so he, he, he gets suspended around this time of the year every year. <laughs> it's ridiculous it's like oh yes. it's valentine's day jaquan newton's probably about to get suspended like it happens uh, it doesn't happen every year but i it did happen last year like same type yeah. of thing um then tuesday night uh, there's an sec game between south carolina and florida going to be played at florida speaking of three game losing streaks it looked like south carolina is on the verge of of getting to one because they lost at home to arkansas last wednesday night then lost at vanderbilt uh this weekend and now they got to go to Florida. Uh, Ken Palm's got the spread at uh, Florida minus 11. Would you lay the points? We both think Florida wins the game, right? Yeah, I would I would pick South Carolina to cover in that instance. Um, 
This is a big one for their seeding. It's the second biggest SEC game left of the season with Florida playing at Kentucky on Saturday, I believe. That is an CBS game. Um, yeah, that's a 7 o'clock tip on Tuesday night, South Carolina at Florida. Florida is now down a big man. Uh, Igbunu is out for the rest of the season. They they look like it didn't matter at Mississippi State. It was close, but UF getting that kind of win was huge. Uh, Florida will ultimately go as far as their guards carry them if they can still play confidently. I know Gator fans are thrilled to see that they've got just at least some consistency there. I do like the Gators. Before you pick that game, GP, I'll also include that Tuesday night. Uh, we could be talking about Crean on Wednesday. I mean, Indiana's got a road game against Iowa. Losing that, um, if if they lose it and it goes bad, the fan base is really going to be on highest of high alerts here because it's going to be five straight losses and the NIT basically will be off the table at that point. So just, uh, you know, if you're interested in car wrecks, um, that might be something worth turning into. And the Northwestern will effectively lock up a bid if it wins at Illinois. I said all along, they're getting to the tournament, yes. but it's just a matter of getting enough wins. They beat Illinois on the road on Tuesday night. I would venture to say that Northwestern could basically afford to lose out and still get in because that would be four straight losses. I still think they'd get in with that. So uh, that's also what's happening Tuesday. Fire away. Um, I, I think I'd take South Carolina plus the points, but I do think Florida wins the game. And then we got a massive game, uh, like you said, on Saturday, Florida, Kentucky. That could end up being the, the game that decides the SEC regular season uh, title. I'm with you on Northwestern. Like I, When I sat down on Sunday morning to do the top 25 and one, I was picking between a handful of teams to put in that 26 spot. It was Wichita State, Northwestern, Minnesota, uh, Iowa State and Oklahoma State. I went with Iowa State, but the idea that I'm on February 19th considering putting Northwestern in the, in, in my you know top 25 and one rankings uh, just underlines how uh, how wonderful a job Chris Collins has done there. Um, you know, in theory, you can you can have success basically anywhere in college basketball, but Northwestern is a place where they've never made the NCAA tournament famously, and he looks like he's um, uh, just you know, less than a, you know, less than a month away from, from snapping that streak. It's going to be one of the uh, big stories uh, on Selection Sunday that this, uh, this school that's never done it before is at this point, like you said, almost certainly going to do it. Before we get out of here, um, uh, thoughts to Michigan State's Aaron Harris. What a terrible thing to see Oh yeah. on uh, Saturday. It looked bad when it happened. His teammates were in tears. That's never a good sign. And the confirmation came on Sunday as a season-ending knee injury. He will have to have surgery. And it's not only season-ending because he's a senior. It is a college career-ending injury. And just, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you never get that back. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before, whether it was with um, Maurice Watson or or somebody else. You know, these types of injuries are terrible no matter who they happen to. When they happen to seniors in their senior years, it's just especially bad. And so um, just awful, awful story uh, for Michigan State in general, but specifically for that young man. Yeah, real quick. Uh, one, Izzo specifically early on in the season called Harris out for lack of attentiveness and not doing as much as he was expecting him to do. Really get the impression over the past month and a half that Harris had uh, fully, you know, both committed himself but also had become the kind of senior guy that Izzo just cherishes like gold. And so for him to make that final turn of the corner 
and then to lose the rest of his college career to an injury like this. I mean, he bumps up against Isaac Haas, who is a freaking mountain. And it's just an awkward bump, a bad fall. You can hear the screams. Bridges is in tears. It's rough for Michigan State. Hopefully, and it should be, you know, an injury that he can recover from. Aaron Harris has, I think, natural talent and ability to have a solid decade-long career playing overseas. For Michigan State, they're 16-11. Now the committee will—this comes—it's interesting when these kind of injuries happen because Harris is not an all-league player, but he is an important player to Michigan State, and now we have a very condensed sample size that the committee will evaluate the team on. And it won't discount what he did with them, but if if Michigan State is really bad, I mean, it's got to beat Nebraska at home on Thursday. That's the next game. You lose that, and then if you lose to Wisconsin, then yes, they're going to be in serious trouble in terms of not getting to the tournament. Broadly speaking, they've got two home, two road games. Let's just say one minimal in the Big Ten tournament. That's five left. If Michigan State can win three of those five, I think they're a lock to get in. If they only win two of them, then it gets really interesting. But uh, hopefully, you know, Harris can recover relatively quickly. And Michigan State, man, just has been, you know, a season beset by injuries. And uh, we'll see what happens, what they do. I will say this as we close up. If they get into the tournament, and I do think that they will, it would be just the most Tom Izzo thing ever if they would just – if they make the Sweet 16 out of the day, like just watch that happen. Just insane. It just should not happen. Zero business. Watch them get a 10, beat a seven, upset the two, something stupid like that. It would just be the, the most Izzo thing to ever happen. Before we clock out of here, uh, let me remind you that uh, you can get a free offer right now at harrys.com slash college BB. I'm sure you are like me tired of paying too much for a razor and a blade. That's not that good. Anyway, you don't have to do that anymore. Go to harrys.com slash college BB and they're going to give you their most popular trial set for free. Now, uh, you're going to have to uh, pay a small shipping fee, but that's it. You get it, everything else for free. A razor, hand, a razor handle of your choice, uh, plus a five-blade cartridge and some shaving gel. All you got to do, harrys.com slash collegebb. I've been using Harry's razors for uh, a pretty good while now, and I can tell you it, it, it's, it's a great shave. It's, it's a, a good razor uh, at an inferior price. And you don't have to go get them. You don't have to pop into your corner of pharmacy ever again. They're going to deliver them right to your front door. So I'm saving you money. I'm saving you time. And all you got to do is go to harrys.com slash collegebb. That's harrys.com slash collegebb. And when you're done with the free trial set, uh, you'll start getting blades just like I do. Shipped directly to your door for a fraction of the price that the leading brand cost in your traditional corner store. So get started now. All you got to do is pay shipping. Go to harrys.com slash college BB. That's harrys.com slash college BB. You'll get razors delivered straight to your door. Remember, we're going to be back on a Wednesday. We'll look back at uh, some of the games on Monday night and Tuesday night. Start getting ready for the weekend. You can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way uh, to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. We always put them on the website as well, cbssports.com. But they're always, always, without exception, in iTunes first. So if you subscribe, you'll get them first. Thank you all for listening. We're going to talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, uh, take care.